Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online, and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. But basically what they'll do is whatever insecurity they know you have, or it could be a boundary, they'll just pick on that and pick on that. And at first you might be really calm and collected because you you're trying to not let them get to you. Right. And so you'll sit there and you won't engage, you won't start an argument, but you're hearing them do this and it keeps happening. They keep trying to cross the boundary. They keep questioning the boundary. They keep pushing you or they keep nitpicking you and making fun of you and saying these underhanded comments. And then all of a sudden you finally react because you're tired of hearing it. And that's when the narc will shift and say, wow, you know, guess I'm not the crazy one here. Wow. You're, and you're going to tell me I'm the toxic one. Mm. And they completely disregard their part in getting you to that escalated state. They're like, oh, so you can't control your emotions. Oh, you are yelling at me. Oh, you are abusing me now. Look, look who's the abuser. And it's, it's infuriating for the survivor because they're like, man, I was so calm, cool, and collected. And then, and you're going to completely disregard that and only call this out. Like, and it's that they do that though, for that reason to make you feel more shame, to make you feel like you're the issue, to make you feel like you're crazy and to question yourself. It's awful. Yeah. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. 
and what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you you, what makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, my beautiful friend, do you suffer from depression? Symptoms of depression are not always obvious. You might feel constantly tired. You might be low in energy, low in motivation. You might have constant feelings of anxiety or worry, feelings of sadness or feeling constantly guilty about everything. If this sounds like you, take a look at Destroy Depression. It's a treatment plan that works regardless of your symptoms or your age. It's a totally drug-free, straightforward plan that explains everything you need to know about eliminating depression step by step. Destroy Depression helps you dominate your depression. It helps you take back control over your symptoms and it comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee so you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Click the link in the show notes to find out more about how Destroy Depression can help you because you really do deserve to live your life free from the symptoms of depression. Hey, my beautiful friends, thank you so much for joining me. I have a fantastic episode this week. Alex Scott is my guest and Alex is a trauma-informed coach who is helping women to heal from narcissistic relationships. When Alex was growing up, she got into some pretty dark spaces. Her mother was narcissistic and over time, her mother manipulated her relationship with her dad too so that she was really unable to connect with him in any meaningful way, which meant that she was really left at the mercy of a highly manipulative and toxic mother. Alex never understood that her mother was a narcissist. She just struggled with abuse, manipulation and gaslighting. But then as an adult, she found herself in a relationship with a man that was so toxic. And as she searched for answers around this relationship, she came across information about narcissists and realized that it wasn't just this boyfriend, but this was her mum too. And that she'd been experiencing this kind of manipulation her entire life without ever realizing it. And this happens a lot. Growing up with a narcissistic parent is all a child knows at the time. It's just their life and they have no idea that what they're going through is going to impact the rest of their life. Alex is an incredible wealth of information on the narcissist and she's helping women to heal and move on to thrive in healthy, conscious relationships. Please join me now for Alex's story. 
Alex, thank you so much for being here. You are a trauma-informed healing and dating coach and you help women to heal from narcissistic and toxic relationships so that they can move on with confidence and start to create healthy, conscious relationships. Sounds amazing what you're doing. This work is important to you because of your own story. Can you explain how your life was affected by a narcissist growing up? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I didn't even know I had a narcissistic parent until I had a narcissistic ex. I kind of found out about it in like reverse order. So my, like the cliff notes version is, you know, I was dating, I was on Bumble, <laughs> the dating apps, of course, not in a good place to date. Cause honestly, the, the, a big chunk of my story that not, maybe not many people know is I actually got married really young and divorced very young because of some religious, you know, stuff growing up. And I, thought I was ready to date again. So I'm on Bumble, I'm swiping, I get into this on again, off again relationship that basically was a year and eight months of pure chaos, hell on earth. And if you've ever been in a narcissistic relationship, you're like, it's hard to explain to other people because it's such a mind F-U-C-K. I'm not sure if I can curse on here or not, yeah. but it is, it, it really screws with your mind and like, you know, the perception of reality of, of who you are and your ability to trust yourself. So it was a long year and eight months of, you know, chronic cheating, you know, chronic gaslighting, blame shifting, all of the standard narcissistic abuse tactics. But I didn't know that. I just thought this guy, if I'm being really honest, I thought this guy kept coming back to me because he loved me so much. Like that was really the mindset I had. And I think a lot of survivor, survivors of narcissistic abuse, specifically in romantic relationships, think that, especially because of the societal conditioning of like, you know, if they keep coming back to you, it must be really special. And it's like, or they're just a, you know, narcissistic relationship cycle, you know? So long story short, right towards the end of the relationship, I started learning about narcissism because of course, in true fashion, I had to Google to try and figure out why this relationship was so toxic, learned about that. And as I started connecting those dots, I started realizing, wait a second, this sounds a lot about like my mom yeah. <laughs> and and then it all connected and I started learning about trauma and how we're wired for patterns and why we're wired for patterns. And so basically I got into a lot of toxic relationships and then this specific one, he actually was diagnosed with an NPD and confided in me about that when I broke up with him. Cause I had figured it out enough that I was like, Ooh, like, and so when I mentioned it, he had been to court ordered therapy because of some violence from his past. And he was like, yeah, when I was in court ordered therapy, it came up. So I was like, Oh, good to know. Cool. Bye. <laughs> Yeah. And then, you know, I, I, but as I've gone through this journey, you know, the amount of love and compassion and trust I've developed with myself and the relationship I have with myself and the world that I've created for myself since then is so beautiful. So it's an honor to be able to take what I've been through and convert that into a ripple effect of healing globally too. It's really cool having international clients, but yeah, that's basically my story. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's interesting, isn't it? And I think so many people don't see it when they're growing up, obviously, because it is no. just so manipulative and it's just your normal. And yeah. how did that affect you as a, a little child? Did you have mental health issues? How did it play <laughs> out for you? 
I did, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have, I had ADHD, but no one knew until I literally got diagnosed this year. And there's a heavy correlation with narcissistic abuse and ADHD because of the amount of brain fog and dual realities you're kind of trying to cope with. So, you know, it's fascinating to me how our little brains will try and save ourselves as kids and ADHD is one of them, right? It's kind of a coping mechanism. So that was one, but no one knew that everyone just thought I was a spastic child who couldn't sit still in her seat and had to be dancing all of the time. I would go dancing in restaurant bathrooms all the time and like disappear. And I would be doing like my three act ballet in my bat in the bathroom in these restaurants. And people would walk back to my parents' table being like, I think your kid is in the bathroom. And they're like, yeah, she's been in there for 30 minutes. Maybe we should go find her. How does that actually, how does that actually work then? Because I've said this before, like, I believe that almost all of those things that we get diagnosed with the ADHD, all of those things I feel are connected to trauma, but then I get a lot of people just getting very upset with that. That's not how it is. You can't say that. So what happens, what is the ADHD reaction? What is the body doing in that trauma response? I mean, it's searching for dopamine, right? Like dopamine's a happy hormone. And if we, ADHD is a dopamine deficiency. So like you get up and it's, it's one of those things when we experience what's called executive dysfunction, you know, we're, we're numbing out, we're on the couch, like our to-do list is overwhelming, produces a lot of anxiety. So we kind of just start to get paralyzed. But when we're kids, you know, and we don't necessarily have a to-do list, the way we're, we're reacting is we're trying to chase dopamine, you know, in adulthood, we do it differently. You know, we lay on the couch and watch Netflix as children, we run around with in our underpants doing crazy stuff. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, or we're playing with our hot wheels cars, or we're nonstop playing video games, or we talk really fast, which I still do to this day, as you can see. And all of these different ways, because what we're, we're just looking for that stimulus in our brain. And so that's why we're so impulsive sometimes, or we can get really hyper-focused on things that do produce a lot of dopamine for us. So whether that's scrolling on Instagram, or like I said, playing video games or, and then unfortunately it can get, there's correlations with substance abuse too. Same thing. We're just chasing the dopamine hit. And for kids, you know, when you see that in children, because I agree with you, there's a, a very heavy correlation with science now that it is linked to trauma. You know, we need to understand that being able to provide a space for children to exist as children, instead of shaming them and trying to put them into these boxes of like behave, speak when you're spoken to, and we shame them for having human experiences like anger and sadness. You know, you have nothing to cry about. Don't be angry. Don't give me that tantrum. And then we grow up with adults who have mental health issues and wonder why. You know, it's because of, we're not allowing children to be children. We're not creating space for them to be little humans and so much more, you know, and we're invalidating their experience along the way with which something as simple as that is a form of trauma. And a lot of people don't even know that, you know? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So it's almost like a feeling that you don't belong in your own family, I guess, growing up. (laughs) 100%. I felt the term that really resonates with me is ugly duckling, you know? I felt alone and lost and, you know, not pretty because I have a sister, I have a half sister who's nine years older than me and drop dead gorgeous. And my narc parent loved to remind me of how beautiful she was and that I was the curvy one in the family, like just with the big nose and the double chin. Yeah. So it's Um. just like, 
it's, and those are two of my biggest insecurities today. And I laugh because I never noticed them until my parent pointed it out to me. You know what I mean? So it's like, and I share that because I want anyone who's listening to this to be like, oh yeah, me too. Like I've been there too. I've been nitpicked for things that are out of my control too. And made to feel like you, like you said, an outcast, you know, I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel like anyone was okay with me being the fun, loving, carefree kiddo with all the energy wanting to perform and, and hang out and fit in. And it screwed me up in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Can I just tell you, you are beautiful. You're so, you are so beautiful. And it's just so like these things, we hang on to them, don't we? Like they just become a part of, oh, that's what I believe about myself. When in fact, it's just the opinion or the, it's really just the manipulation of a, a person who's trying to be manipulative. But that golden child dynamic is that just a control tactic? Is that why it's happening in a family? Yeah. Yeah. It's a try. I mean, yes. Golden child slash triangulation. Cause sometimes even with kids who are only children of a narcissistic family or parent, they'll be triangulated with other, you know, so-and-so's kid doesn't do that, which also yeah. happened to me. And the, the reason they do that and they draw the comparison is because of that control. If I can make you feel shame, around how you're existing right now, I'm going to get the result I want out of you. Yeah. And it's freaking painful, especially as a kid. Cause you don't get that. You just think like, Oh, I'm bad. I yeah. did something bad. So I'm a bad kid. Mm. And you have the shame. The narcissist plants that shame in you woo, real strong. And then it lingers. And then we don't know what we're dealing with. And we're wondering why we're severely codependent or why we're always comparing ourselves, especially women. We're pitted against each other all the time. So it's like, if she dyed her hair that way, I need to dye my hair that way. If she's perming it like this, then I need to do that. And if she's dressing like that, then I, and it's just like, you know, a lot of daughters of narcissistic abuse struggle with confidence because of that, you know? Yeah. Men too, men too. I just, I speak from a woman's perspective because I am one. Yeah, absolutely. And so for anybody that didn't realize that they grew up with a narcissist or a narcissistic parent, what are some signs like looking back, what are the sort of things they might remember about growing up that would point to the fact that they had a narcissistic mother or or father? Yeah. Well, man, a part of me wants to be like, you were more scared of your parent than feeling safe. Like that's one. Cause I was, you know, like I behaved not because I loved my parents, but because I was terrified of what would happen if I did it, you know? So that's, that's one thing. That's one little clue, but you know, there's a few things. Hypervigilance is really common, which kind of goes along the lines of the fear thing. Like I, I talk about this with clients all the time. Like I developed a sixth sense for footsteps in my house. So like I could be on the second floor of my, the second story of my childhood home and like hear footsteps on the other side, going through the living room and be able to tell like, okay, that's this person. They're in this kind of mood. You just become very aware and being like an amoeba, if you will, that can feel and then shape shift depending on how the parent is to get the end result that you need, which is self-preservation. So I remember always changing, you know, the conversations, my way of being, depending on this narc parent's mood so that I would escape 
being yelled at, being confronted, like whatever it was that I needed to escape. You know what I mean? And so that's one thing. Like if you, if you can look, if what I'm saying, like really is hitting home, you're like, Ooh, yeah. Like I remember being like sensitive to noises, being able to pick up on people's moods. Another thing is being gaslit. I was gaslit so much. Like I have vivid memories when I was sick, six years old, crying over something and being mocked, like do it for the camera. You're pretending, geez, you're so full of it. Like, and it's like, no, I'm, I'm six and I'm crying for a reason. Can someone hear me please? Like I used to not be able to talk about that memory without crying. So this is like kind of really great for for me, testament to my healing, but yeah, like you're made to feel like you're not allowed to have emotions. And if you have emotions, it's your own fault. And you're the other thing I heard a lot was your brain is playing tricks on you, like which is only further gaslighting to instill a sense of self-doubt in my own understanding and perception of things. So, you know, any there's a lot of layers to narcissistic parenting. Blame shifting, you know, I wouldn't be doing this if you didn't do that okay, that's not, no, you're your own, you're an adult, you have self-control. Are you going to use it or not? So those are the big ones I would say, but there's lots of layers and I have tons of content on it as well. If anyone wants to go lurk for more signs. Absolutely. And so as you go out into the dating world, I mean, how does a person who is so used to, so normalized to that sort of abusive relationship with a parent how are they going to ever recognize this in a person that they are going out to date I mean how does this how does somebody do that they don't Mm. I didn't yeah I didn't and that's exactly why I landed my my booty in a relationship with someone die you know with with NPD too because it's like we we don't quite and for me I didn't question my parents especially with the religious aspect you know honor your mother and father was used as a threat in my household quite a bit like you know so it's like one of those things where I I wasn't allowed to ask why like so critical thinking was shamed a lot in my household and so I just took took it I took it I took the abuse because I didn't have an option right and so because my nervous system got so conditioned to surviving in that kind of environment that became familiar that became the environment in which my nervous system was like I know this game I know how to operate here this feels normal even though logically I knew it was dysfunctional. I knew it wasn't right. I knew, you know, I used to say like, she crazy, like, you know, I could, I could recognize like something wasn't quite right. I had no idea that it was to the length and how not right it was until my mid twenties, you know? And so what, what ended up happening for me was once I got out of this relationship and started connecting these dots, you know, if we aren't conscious of the difference between what we have been conditioned to call chemistry and the spark versus our own anxiety and intuition saying, red alert, this person's not healthy for you. We're going to confuse those two signals. And let me tell you, all of my entire early, like teenage, not even early 20s, teenage years, the who I lost my virginity to all the way through like young adults, like getting married, getting divorced, dating, ending up in this relationship, all of it was unconscious. It was just my nervous system on autopilot, seeking out similar relationship dynamics, which means although I haven't dated 20 narcissists, I've only had the one that was diagnosed. They all were toxic relationships. They all very much had mimicked the trauma I had experienced in childhood, which is why they're called trauma bonds. 
So yeah, you won't because it's, it's been normalized to you. You don't doubt your parents until you doubt your parents. And it takes sometimes hitting rock bottom to be like, wait a second, that's not normal parenting. Mm. You know, I guess it's just being able to figure out that what you're actually feeling, isn't it? And that's something that takes a lot of practice and, Often we don't know that when we're younger, but it, it is sort of figuring out that, oh, what's happening around me isn't right. right. And we, we just don't know those feelings. We just don't understand them until, you know, because, I mean, I speak to people who are 40, 50, 60, and they've yeah. only just figured this out. So I know it's, yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's just so manipulative. That's the thing, isn't it? You just can't yeah. see it. And that's, that's the hardest part. It's interesting because I sometimes will put a post up about an, you know, narcissists and I get some people saying, oh, you shouldn't say that because not all narcissists are abusive. And I would have thought that was the definition of a narcissist. I mean, obviously it's on a, a spectrum, right? But but a narcissist, surely there's, there's got to be abuse within that. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. People who, let's also be clear here. People who aren't on the narcissistic spectrum abuse people by accident all the time. People unintentionally gaslight other people all the time. Toxic positivity culture, perfect example. Good vibes only. Okay. So now on a day where I'm not having a good day because I ran into my ex at the grocery store and it ripped open a bunch of wounds because I had to be confronted with their face again. Oh, but now I feel shame because I'm not in good vibes only. Oop, need to think positive, like some law of attraction stuff even can kind of start to slip into that. And it's like, you know, I just want to be clear here that yes, we can make space for the fact that there's narcissists out there who are self-aware, who are doing the work and are committed to that and wanting to heal and grow. And that's wonderful. It's also very rare. Both can coexist. It's very rare for a narcissist to do that. You know, even mine diagnosed wasn't doing anything to change it years later after they checked the box for the court ordered therapy, you know? So, and same with my parent begged them to go to therapy and they wouldn't go. So, you know, I think we need to understand that if someone is being labeled, whether they're having severe narcissistic tendencies, or they've been diagnosed with narcissism, that at some point there's been abuse. I think it's, ignorant for someone to say that someone who has those tendencies or has been diagnosed has an abuse. I don't think that can exist. Otherwise that diagnosis wouldn't be there. So yeah, that's yeah. my personal professional opinion. <laughs> yeah. And so being with a narcissist, one of the ways you might recognize you're in that sort of relationship is that it it is running very hot and cold, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's to do with love bombing. And then can you talk about that cycle? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. I love it. I love talking about this stuff because once you, once you get it, it clicks and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't feel like a crazy person anymore. Cause a lot of survivors, survivors of narcissistic abuse feel that because of this duality. It's like, one day they're the soulmate and that's in the love bombing phase. And it, and I want to be clear on what love bombing is. Cause we hear that term. And a lot of times we th- think of the standard definition, which is like lots of compliments, big purchases, things like that. Love bombing can be as subtle as mirroring you though. You know, oh my gosh, you want to go to Italy? Oh, Italy has been on my bucket list since I was 10. How did you know we're made for each other? Oh my gosh, you love giving back at soup kitchens too. I love doing that too. Every Thanksgiving, I go to the soup kitchen. 
right? Like it can be just a mirroring you and, and laying it on in that way. You know, where, where have you been all my life? We're just two peas in a pod. So that's the love bombing cycle. And the reason that they start with that is let's be real folks. If you met a narcissist on a date and they were like, I like to gaslight my girlfriends and you know what I mean? I'm going to blame you for all the problems in the relationship. You wouldn't make it past the first date, right? They're not going to give away their secrets. So they start with this tactic because it's a really great way to establish a false sense of intimacy, which means you're lowering your guard and you're getting emotionally invested in me real quick, which means that you're going to start justifying the way I'm treating you because now I already got my hook in, right? So that's what love bombing is. And it really, I remember, ooh, I remember when I was first dating my narcissistic ex and I remember telling someone on the phone, it's just like, where has he been my entire life? Like, he's just such a good fit for me. I remember thinking that and feeling that and saying that in my garden grove apartment at the time in in California. So it's just funny how those memories stick with us from there. They go into devaluing and this really can show up as like nitpicking, right? Don't talk to people like that. No one wants to talk about that. Oh, you know, when you do this, it's really annoying. You should be more mindful of stop, stop biting your nails. Stop, stop. It's so annoying when you do that. And like little things, it'll start with nitpicking. Oh my God, you're so insecure. Why does it take you 20 minutes to do your makeup? you know, mm-hmm. and judging just these little comments over and over again, you know, you'd really look better if you would dress like that, or if you would do your hair like that, you know, just these poking little, and then all of a sudden it starts to escalate. And depending on the longevity, like the length of the relationship at this time, it can go into something as drastic as cheating, as drastic as, you know, having these picking a fight for no reason, which can show up as boundary violating, right? Like you've set a boundary and they know that something they do pisses you off. They do it anyway, just to get that reaction out of you, which is reactive abuse and another tactic they use in this cycle, in this part of the cycle. Then it goes into the discard and that's when they cut it off just cold Turkey, you know, and it's, and the reason they do this is to ignite all of your abandonment wounds, because the second that this begins to happen, they know you're going to fight harder for the relationship. You're going to cling tighter. You're going to want to chase them because they you've seen the potential of the relationship in the love bombing phase. They make it out. Like, this is who I am. And then by the time you get to the discard, they have now done a 180 to make you the issue within the relationship. And this is when I get so many women coming to me being like, I'm the problem. I need to become a better person. So my boyfriend stays with me. They're calling me a narcissist. And it's like, Ooh, little do you know that the truth is probably completely reversed. Right. And then from there, they go into the hoovering, which is keeping tabs on you, social media lurking. Sometimes they show up at your place of work to run into you or on your doorstep. They're blowing up your phone, emailing you. And then it just, if you allow that hoovering face to continue, and if you engage in it and at at any time, you're signing yourself up for another loop around the merry-go-round. It's going to start with love bombing again and completely. And every time you go back through the cycle, it gets worse and worse and worse. So it's, it's a very clever way of being able to keep multiple supplies hooked at once in different cycles of the abuse so that the narcissist is always feeding whatever within them they need to feed, whether it's superiority, confidence, love and connection, sex, you name it. But that's, yeah. that's the cycle. It's exhausting just listening to that, isn't it? It's like, oh my God, it's just so exhausting. But you can see how, you can see how a person like yourself who's been 
in that their whole life and then they're in relationships, you really wouldn't see that there was another way. Like this would just be everything. And you mentioned reactive abuse. Can you just explain that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So, oh man, I have a, I laugh because I actually have, if you've also been a survivor of narcissistic abuse, you know, you keep a paper trail and maybe screen record things to like look back at later and be like, I'm not crazy, right? That happened. So I actually have a video of one of my narcs in my life doing exactly reactive abuse. And it's kind of funny to watch back nowadays because it's so clear, but basically what they'll do is whatever insecurity they know you have, or it could be a boundary, they'll just pick on that and pick on that. And at first you might be really calm and collected because you you're trying to not let them get to you. Right. And so you'll sit there and you won't engage, you won't start an argument, but you're hearing them do this and it keeps happening. They keep trying to cross the boundary. They keep questioning the boundary. They keep pushing you or they keep nitpicking you and making fun of you and saying these underhanded comments. And then all of a sudden you finally react because you're tired of hearing it. And that's when the narc will shift and say, wow, you know, guess I'm not the crazy one here. Wow. You're, and you're going to tell me I'm the toxic one. Mm. And they completely disregard their part in getting you to that escalated state. They're like, oh, so you can't control your emotions. Oh, you are yelling at me. Oh, you are abusing me now. Look, look who's the abuser. And it's, it's infuriating for the survivor because they're like, man, I was so calm, cool, and collected. And then, and you're going to completely disregard that and only call this out. Like, and it's that they do that though, for that reason, to make you feel more shame, to make you feel like you're the issue, to make you feel like you're crazy and to question yourself. It's awful. Yeah. It's awful. Absolutely. And we touched on gaslighting before. Yeah. Can you just go into that a little bit more so people can really recognize gaslighting because it's so manipulative, isn't it? It's kind of hard to see it. Mm. Yeah. So gaslighting is a form of psychological abuse that basically causes the survivor to question their reality, their emotions, their sense of self, what they've witnessed. And, you know, forms of gaslighting, or I should say like different phrases of gaslighting can be things like, you're so dramatic. Look at you making things up again. That didn't happen. Ooh, I don't remember narcissist favorite is playing dumb. I don't remember saying that. I don't remember that happening. I don't remember doing that. And so they do that specifically for you to, again, not be able to have the confidence in yourself and your own memory to say like, oh wait, there is a pattern here. And that's why people get stuck in it for so long because of all the gaslighting and blame shifting. They're like, oh, maybe I am the problem here. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to stay with this person and keep working on me. And they don't even realize that they're only this much of the problem, right? The narcissist is taking up three quarters of space. Yeah. And so if you know that you're being gaslighted is there anything you can do in response to that yeah you can say things like you know I know the way I feel and that's valid you know you don't get to tell me how I feel my feelings are my emotions are true they have a place here you can walk away if it's really like if it's bad and it's with someone who you know is just going to keep sight like don't even engage walk away if you can you know because you know it's just going to be on a merry-go-round of chaos 
you know, you don't get to tell me how I should be thinking or feeling. Let's talk about this. If you continue to change the subject, or if you continue to not answer the question, I'm going to remove myself from this conversation. There's a lot of different, just clever verbiage like that to use. And you can kind of take, you know, what I just rambled off and you, you know, mix and match your own words. But the biggest thing is to stay calm and use a gray rocking technique, which is a non-emotional, very factual, matter of fact type language, you know, because the narcissist thrives off reaction, whether good or bad, right? If you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy for you. That fuels the narcissist. They're like, yay. Right. And if you're screaming at them, like, oh my gosh, you drive me crazy also fuels them because they just want the drama. They seek that. Right. So, you know, when it comes to dealing and and negotiating and talking and trying to communicate or co-parent with the narcissist, one of the best things you can do is manage your own emotions. Don't give them that reaction, save it for when you're behind closed doors and you can process your feelings in a safe space, because the second they see you start to emotionally react, they get more motivated to keep coming because they're like, I'm getting my way. So regard. And I bring that up because when you respond to gaslighting, you want to maintain that neutral tone, right? Put your lawyer face on is what I say. Like you're in a court of law, try and remain grounded in that way. Very black and white matter of fact type information and vibe. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's awesome advice. And I can see, yeah, absolutely how that would work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And, and when people are coming to you because they're in these narcissistic relationships, is the answer always to finish the relationship or is it possible to kind of work with a narcissist or is there any point? I'm just interested. People must feel like, oh, but I can change them. Can they All of the really time. be changed? I, you know, no one can be changed if they don't want to period. Right. Yeah. Like I, no one did my trauma work for me. I did. Right. No one does your trauma work for you. You're doing it. No one's doing your mindfulness practice for you or your AM routine or making you food. You're doing it right. Like we need to be the superheroes of our own lives. We need to reparent ourselves. We can't wait we can't wait to feel like healing to heal. We can't because I'll tell you the way I got to the point in my life where I was determined, like no matter what I'm changing my life. It took me a while to get there. Cause I was stuck in victim mindset for a hot couple years. Okay. But like I got there because of my rock bottom and I'm telling you, you don't need to hit your rock bottom. Anyone listening to this, you don't need to. 
unless you want to, but think of all the heartache that you're going to have. So like, that's my message to the world is like, like, let my experience download into your system. And let me tell you that if you hit a rock bottom, I know you can survive it because I have too. And it's not worth it to even go there. Start now, start now. You've seen them prove themselves to you in this toxic way. That's enough. Start now, create the reality. There's no time, but the present. And it's the only asset that we'll never get back. Right? Like Mm. we need to value that and just jump into the healing journey because I can promise you on the other side of all of it is just so much wonderful beauty and abundance and joy. And, oh, I want it for the world. Um, So the short answer now that I've waxed poetically about that is no, you can't change them. They have to want to change. And if the narcissist does want to change, it's going to require a qualified professional. They need to see a psychiatrist. They need to get a diagnosis. They need to be consistent in the work. They need to go alone, alone. They cannot just only go to couples therapy. That's not good enough. You should probably do both if they're open to going to therapy and seeking the help. Great. If that is not a, an option on the table with your narcissist, I absolutely recommend setting either severe boundaries. If you have to co-parent with them, or maybe, maybe they're a family member. And for some reason you absolutely need that family men- member in your life. So that if that's the route boundaries, otherwise cut them out. If they're mm-hmm. not adding anything to your life, they're taking from it. And it's like, you don't want to live your life with a leech, you know, it's like, yeah. Good advice. <laughs> you don't yeah. want to live your life with a leech. No. Like that should be the that should be the slogan. <laughs> yeah. Episode title. <laughs> yeah. But you mentioned there that you had done reparenting as part of your healing. Yeah. What does that involve? So I use parts work and inner child healing is a version of parts work, right? We're dealing with the part of ourselves that is the inner child, but there's also a part of me that has anxiety. There's a part of me that's a business owner. There's a part of me that's a dog mom. There's a part of me that's an events manager, right? And like, there's so, we all have layers. And so when we do parts work, we allow these different aspects of ourselves, their own voice to speak up, to request their needs, to make it known, you know, what they're going through, what they need. And then the self, meaning our conscious beings, we look at those parts and we love on them, meet the needs that they have and educate them in the ways that they need to be educated. So my biggest thing with my inner child slash reparenting journey has mostly been going back to that little six-year-old who was mocked for crying and cuddling her in my mind's eye and just being like, I love you so much. And you're so welcome to cry with me. Let it out. Like my six-year-old self needed that. She needed space for her tears. She needed space to be heard for what she was dealing with and how she was being bullied. And she needed someone to play with. Like I play a lot. And I talk about that a lot with inner child healing. Like for example, the Harry Potter books came out when I was a child, you know, I grew up and I was not allowed to read them because, you know, the belief in my family was if I read the Harry Potter books, I would become a witch. So I'm reading them now in my adulthood as a 30 year old woman. And it is the most cathartic thing to give that child because all of those years, those seven years, as those books were coming out, I was ostracized from the book clubs that formed from the groups at lunch that would sit together and read like, it was very, like, I couldn't connect. I didn't know who Dumbledore, Snape and Hermione were like, you know, 
And so to give that to myself, it sounds, it sounds so surface level silly, but it's actually one of the most cathartic, powerful things I've been able to give my inner child because she feels included. She gets the memes. Now she gets the jokes, right? She can look back and be like, that's what they were freaking out about when this last book came out, you know, and she feels included, you know? Mm. So it's a lot. Yes. It's learning new skills. It's learn. It's unlearning a lot of ways of being. Cause the other thing is, is being raised in a narcissistic home. I even had what's called being narcissistically defensive for a while because I was so sensitive to certain things that I adopted certain narcissistic behaviors as a means of preservation and also conditioning. But this, the difference between being narcissistically defensive and a narcissist is the second I learned that wasn't okay. I stopped. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of unlearning that needs to happen. There's a lot of relearning that needs to happen. And there's a lot of feeling that needs to happen. We just need to feel. Yeah. And just giving yourself permission to feel, but, but also not, I notice how much people still put themselves down are still having all of those angry thoughts that came at them as internal thinking. It's like, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm this, I'm that. It's really about learning. No, I'm not stupid. And so many people blaming themselves for what happened to them as kids. And it's like, how, how is that even a thing when you're a kid, you're not responsible for any of that stuff. You know, you've just got to give yourself some grace and just allow yourself just to be loved. That's, that's the, that's the goal, isn't it? And so when you're with a narcissist, and you know that you're done, what are you going to do? What is the first couple of steps to move out of that relationship? Yeah. The one thing that every woman that I've ever worked with, talked to, who has left a narcissistic relationship, the phrase plot your escape rings true. And so there is a little bit more planning that needs to go into leaving an abusive relationship to make it as quote unquote, easy (laughs) as possible. And I, I laugh because it's not easy and it's scary and it's panicky and it's all the feelings. So if you don't have a support system, I would say start there before you make a plan to leave, whether it's your locals, women's shelter, especially if there's been any physical violence, lean on your locals, women's shelter, please, 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 please look them up. They will support you. It's a free resource. They have ways to be able to take care of you and to help you come up with what's called an exit strategy, right? AKA plot your escape. So that's, if you have any physical abuse, please take heed there because just full transparency, the most dangerous times in abusive relationships is leaving or when the woman becomes pregnant. So I don't want to like have this conversation casually without doing the due diligence of just saying, let's be smart about it. Okay. Okay because I want you to be safe. So that's the first step, support system, local women's shelter. After that, I would say if there is any time where they're going to be out of town, there's something where they're going to be gone for the day or something of that nature, where you can quite literally, if you're living with them, pack up and leave. Great. If you don't live with them, awesome. This is going to be a little bit easier for you in the sense that you need to block them and you don't need to have a breakup conversation. Like if, if you're in a discard phase, be in a discard phase. If you're in a love bombing devalue phase, you can be the one to choose to leave. And I suggest you do, but then you need to take the next step. And I always try and make this like more fun because obviously blocking someone's 
it feels scary. It feels, especially with the emotional addiction aspect, you feel like you can't do that. You feel guilty about doing that because you know, you're going to hurt them, but then you're also forgetting how many times they've hurt you. So I like to say block them like it's hot. And I like to sing the Snoop Dogg song to it to kind of make fun and bring some lightness and humor to the situation, because really it is something to celebrate. Like you are choosing yourself when you block them. And that is so powerful. And here's the next step you need to take. A lot of narcissists will call even after you've blocked them and it'll show up as no caller ID. Just trust me when I say here on out, do not answer phone numbers or no caller IDs that you don't know only recognize phone numbers. And if it's an important situation, they will leave a voicemail, right? Like just trust yourself and don't, don't be naive in thinking that it's just a random number. Or it's a remote blocked call and it's not your narcissist, you know? And then from there, once you've separated and once you've gotten into a new safe location or you've blocked them and just, you've ridden those waves of the you know, I've blocked them now and I'm feeling emotional. The next thing I would say is you need to look up healing, right? We got to get in there. And if the sooner you start, the better, because then you can jump into the future of your dreams. And so I would say, look up, obviously I'm here for you. If, if the way I coach and teach and talk resonates with you, feel free to hit me up. Otherwise find a qualified coach or therapist in your area, you know, yeah. and if specifically someone with trauma, I'm going to, this is really important to me please look for someone who coaches or, or therapizes, if you will, with a bottom up approach to trauma. It is the most important way to heal trauma. It's the only way to heal trauma. It's the newest science on healing trauma. And unfortunately it takes a specialized person because it's not mainstream yet. So I just want to say that because far too often I have people come like today, a woman's like, I've been in therapy for 10 years and I'm not making any progress. And it's unfortunately because of the type of modality, right? So trauma isn't a one size fits all. We need to approach it specifically. Wow. 10 years. I mean, yeah, yeah you've got it's to, awful. if, if, I mean, just to anybody listening, I mean, if you're not getting results within a, what, a year like months if you're not Six. yeah if you're not seeing yourself moving forward like don't wait for 10 years like that's such a long yeah. time it's such a chunk of your life and just because somebody is a coach or a, a psychologist yep. or whatever you know it doesn't mean that they're the right person for you they might be no. working miracles for somebody else but you've got to find the person that does move you forward that's exactly. you know that's just a basic kind of yeah. thing that I think a lot of people miss so just talking about that trauma side of things, because obviously what is trauma in the context of a narcissistic relationship? Mm. So trauma is trauma is trauma. So I'm going to just speak from like, what's trauma? Trauma is anything that your nervous system is overwhelmed by, right? And so as a five-year-old, your nervous system's really easily disturbed compared to a 30-year-old, Right because the nervous system's developed in certain ways. So I just, I want to bring light to that because trauma is a spectrum, just like narcissism is a spectrum. Something as simple as, you know, this, like the whole parenting aspect of let them cry it out in their crib. Don't go. That was the most toxic parenting myth that ever went around because as babies, we can't self-soothe. We rely on what's called co-regulation, right? So I talk a lot about we need to emotionally regulate, right? When we can self-regulate, that's amazing. Babies can't do that. They're quite literally dependent on their parents to co-regulate. They cry. They need a parent's nervous system to 
tune into basically to say, Ooh, okay. Mommy's skin feels really nice. And she's, she's hushing me. She's Shh, baby. You're okay. You're okay. They need that to be able to feel safe. That's why that's what co-regulation is. That's why when you give your partner a 30 second hug and you feel like five pounds melt off of you, it's because you're co-regulating together. There is something powerful about that kind of human connection that heals something as simple as that. Right. But I bring, I want to bring awareness to this because a lot of times people are like, I'm, I'm, I'm attracted to narcissists, but my parents were great. That's great. You still have childhood trauma. And it doesn't mean that your parents were awful human beings either. Right. Because there's a lot of wonderful parents out there who got a lot of shitty parenting advice and they just didn't know what they didn't know. Cause unfortunately there's no trauma informed parenting class yet. I don't know. Maybe I'll create one someday. But, you know, so trauma is a spectrum. It can be something as simple as that. It can be something like what I've been through and described earlier, a parent dismissing or mocking your, your emotions and needs. It can be something as large scale as acute trauma, which little trigger warning here, something like rape, something like being mugged or shootings, things of that nature, acute trauma, right? War, acute trauma. And then there's what we call complex complex trauma, which is a combination of both, right? A little bit of acute and a little bit of chronic, meaning like the letting them dismissing your needs, things that happen over a period of time consecutively. And so a lot of times with narcissistic abuse, it is a combination. It is complex trauma and it's usually complex PTSD in the the clients that I'm seeing. So When we talk about trauma and we talk about healing trauma, this is why the nervous system work is so important because the first step you need to reach is safety within your own body because a traumatized brain and nervous system are always, we either suffer with anxiety or depression. It's usually one end of the spectrum or the other where we're always on edge in some way. And so first we need to reach safety and then we can start to heal. So, yeah. And that's all done through regulating going back to where I started this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it can be physical signs that we're holding trauma, can't it? Like, oh yeah. Even just exhaustion is a sign that we're holding trauma. It can be in the physical body. Yeah. A lot of time, you know, trauma lives in the body. That's Mm. why we need a bottom up approach, a body to brain approach, right? We need to get the body on board before we can even get the brain to, to say, Oh, okay. I can choose healthy, positive thoughts. Right. When you're traumatized, thinking positively is like, what? (laughs) That's really hard to do. So yeah. IBS, IBS, constipation, the runs Crohn's disease, adrenal fatigue, insomnia, chronic muscle tension, right? You know, if you grew up with any kind of like a a little bit of my story has some, I was, I was spanked with the wooden spoon in the belt growing up. And there's, I have like chronic muscle tensions in areas where I've flinched, you know, so much it's always right here. And so it's just like something like as simple as that. Right. And so I can, part of this is like, yes, I need a a massage therapist and some cupping and like, yeah, it's also emotional. Right. So, so sitting with something is, is some, and this sounds so woo woo. And I remember hearing about this thinking it was so woo woo. Like you're telling me my muscles tight because of trauma. Like I used to scoff at people telling me that because I thought they were like hippies and that this was some new age baloney. No, it is the most powerful, simple 
thing. (laughs) And like you said before, like it just makes sense when you sit down and actually think about it and understand how we're wired as a species, you know? And so I've had a lot of those. I've had a lot of the ailments I just listed off. And the good news is, is once you start healing your trauma, the root cause of it all, those things start to fall off, you know, and think we, obviously it's a slower progression to get the body to fully heal. I'm not saying like six weeks of trauma work and your constipation will be gone. Your IBS will be gone, right? The body takes time to heal, but with the right stimulus and the right exercises and modalities, it will be expedited. Right. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy how trauma will. Yeah, you're right. It's not just emotional trauma responses. It's physical ailments. Yeah. And healing from that trauma, how did, how did it show up for you? How did you start feeling that you were healing? Are we talking physically or emotionally or both? Oh, both. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) For me, I would say like the emotional side I started seeing first, right? Because when we're, you know, Dr. Nicola Perra, the holistic psychologist, she, I'm taking this phrase from her because I love it, but I want to give credit where it's due. She says, your triggers are your teachers. And it's so true. You know, I was a walking trauma response. I was triggered by everything, like burnt my tongue on my coffee, would get to work, get, you know, on my way to work, someone cut me off. And it was just like negative, 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 everything upset me, everything dysregulated me. And so when I started healing, I started noticing how one, I felt calmer. I was less anxious all the time. I was let, I remember the first time I was not in an anxious state. And I remember sitting on the couch and just being like, oh my God, is this normal? Like, is this calm? And, and I will say this, like, for those of you who, for me, like I was hypervigilant, I had a lot of anxiety. I was always like, high alert, like waiting for something to happen. And I remember when I first started regulating and feeling my, what's known as your window of tolerance, right? When you're feeling safe and calm and my window of tolerance was dysregulating because I was like, I'm not used to feeling calm. So let me like do something to be anxious again. Right. So there was a little bit of that in the beginning, like, cause it was just so familiar that being calm was uncomfortable for me. So I just want to be honest here. And I started noticing that. And then I dug deeper into the regulating and then I got addicted to regulating basically. Like it feels so, I call it nature's Xanax. When we can breathe and even just something as simple as 10 nice, slow, juicy belly breaths. So really from the diaphragm, not into the upper body, something as simple as that can shift everything. Right. And so I started to notice like this ability to like get cut off in traffic and be like, you have a good day. Like I wasn't getting mad anymore. You know, something would happen in my life. And I would say, you know, this is working for me, even though this feels really icky right now, I was able to be grounded in the hard emotions. And then, you know, I, at the time I went through a breakup with a partner recently, like that, let me tell you, breaking up with a partner from a healthy place, from a, then a toxic relationship, completely different worlds. And, you know, when I was leaving my narcissistic ex, I would be by the toilet. Cause I would be so dysregulated and anxious. I would throw up. 
And this time it was like a couple tears and like, I'm good. You know, obviously there's other things that I needed to mourn or grieve, but I was fine. I knew I was going to be okay. So that's just like a, a testament over years of like how being in my, doing this nervous system work allows me to be calmer, allows me to be present with uncomfortable situations and not allow it to ruin my entire day or to define how I'm feeling about myself, which is huge. Right. Cause that was the other thing go through a breakup and it's like, Oh my God, no one loves me. I'm never going to find my person. Right. That was the traumatized brain speaking. And now it's like, well, this is painful. And I know that that means that there's a better match for me out there. Right. But you mm-hmm. can't get there when you're stuck in trauma. You're just like, Oh my gosh, this is the end of the world is what it feels like. Right. Yeah. Then on the physical side, like, I don't want to be TMI, but uh, I'm going to be to answer that question a little bit. I was chronically constipated since childhood. Like I remember being taken to doctors, having to do stool samples. It was awful. Little did I know or anyone in my family knew. And I also threw up every month on the dot was another thing. I was I like a period before I had my period, I would just have a week where I would be throwing up all week. And it was because of trauma. My body was just constantly like not safe. Right. And so it was exhausted. So I, I am happy to report back that my bowel movements are much healthier and easier. And so, and yeah, and part of that is being able to be if in my body, like being able to be in my body and allow my body to be grounded and allow my root. If I'm going to get super woo woo here, I'm going to talk a little bit about chakras, but like allow my root chakra to do its job. Right. And like really getting into grounding into my root chakra and like, again, chakra work, I think for many is like, if I'm going to be honest here, like there's no science behind it. Right. But I will say this, when it comes to the energetics and what we're seeing, the more we research trauma here in the Western world, the more and more we're finding that these Eastern medicines had it all along, right? So um, be open-minded. And that was something else that I also used to make fun of all the time was Eastern medicines. It's just funny how I've come so full circle. It's like everything that I used to think was like hogwash is stuff that I'm like, no, this is the way. This is the way. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's incredible. The fact that you were like vomiting like every month and just, just having that chronic unwellness as a little child and, and just being able to change all of that around. Do you actually have a relationship with your family? Nope. I'm happy to celebrate two years since cutting out my narc parent. My family, because of the dysfunction, you know, my father and my mother broke up when I was in. So unfortunately, since then, I don't hear from my father anymore. I love him so much. He's moved on with his wife. He's uh, life. He's remarried, you know, and I'm happy for him. I'm so happy for him. I also totally understand why he might not want to connect with me based off of the way that I was with, with my narcissistic parent. Cause this, if I'm being super honest, I was so brainwashed as a teenager. I chose my narc parent side over, you know, his unfortunately. And I, because I didn't know what I didn't know. And I spent more time with her than with him in my teenage years. And so she got into my brain and it really messed up my relationship with my dad, you know? But sending you so much light and love, Dad. But my mom, I have cut out August 2020, and it was a really heart wrenching conversation. It's not, 
it's the second time I cut her out, but this time's for good. The first time it was like three months. And then I went back hoping to like, okay, now that we've had a break, let's test the waters. Let's insert some new boundaries. Let's see if this can work. And things just spiraled. COVID was a really polarizing time for families. And so that was basically when for me, like the nail kind of hit the coffin where I made my request to go to therapy. I was met with more verbal abuse. And so I just said, all right, well then at this point, you know, I release you essentially. And yeah, so I don't have any contact with the one parent out of my own choice, the other, because of what's just happened. And I'm okay with that. Like I'm only responsible for me and I can still love him from afar. And so, yeah, like that's, that's the cliff notes version. Yeah. And how is your life now? Because it just seems as if you're just in such a a beautiful place. I can just feel the energy and the vibe. It's just like, it's just like a full circle, isn't it? It feels good. Yeah. I love my life. Like, honestly, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful life. Like, oh, I'm getting a little emotional. I just, I love, I have such a beautiful relationship with myself and it feels so good. You know, like I want that for the world because we're the only person we're guaranteed to be around 24 seven. So we might as well like ourselves, you know, and being able to like do what I do now and give back and like take the the shit I've been through and and help women heal and and get to the same point in their lives where I am where they feel empowered and they know how to regulate their emotions they know how to deal with trauma responses and triggers they know how to communicate in healthy relationships in a conscious way instead of just like allowing their emotions to emotionally react to their partners or people in their lives like it's the most wonderful 180 I've ever done. And, and it's so fulfilling. So I'm really happy and at peace. Like, it's just, life is good. I don't know how else to say it. It sounds so cliche and lame, but like, it's just mm. wonderful. Oh, it's I can wonderful. feel it. And it's just such a beautiful testament to what a human can do because mm. growing up in that environment, any child that's vomiting and is in that sort of chronic unwellness just to be in a place now where it's so different it's just so beautiful you have so much information to share with people and you've got an amazing Instagram account where you post a lot of great content what else are you offering people because you've got so much to give and I think there will be people out there that will definitely want to come and connect with you Yeah. Yeah. So definitely come follow me on, on Instagram and TikTok at the Alex Scott. But when it comes to programs and things like that, I have quite a few different options when it comes to healing. So if you're, if you want to like dip your toe in the pool in the healing pool with me, there's a really great hack your nervous system bootcamp. It's a three day long recorded mini course that has changed people's lives. Like I'm, I'm, I'm actually flabbergasted by the feedback I've gotten. For example, one of the girls was like, she watched the replay and she said, just the way that you teach breath work and tapping within less than 24 hours, I am having a completely different experience with my practice. Mm -hmm. So it's just like the way that I teach and the way that I coach these things, it's just 
like I said, if you want, if you're curious and some of the things I've said have resonated with you, I think that's a great place to start. Other than that, I have my signature. I call them my healing tribe, my healing heart hackers. I'm all about hacking your healing. How do we do that in a safe and trauma informed way, but really get results quickly. And so there's different membership options. I have a three month, six month and 12 month. So it also has, it's very flexible for budget. It's flexible for the time commitment. But it's a lot of fun because it's a it's a community of women all dedicated to healing, all dedicated to healthy conscious relationships and really just creating a reality that they thrive in. And like I just said, like understanding and really embodying, like having a wonderful life and creating what that means for you. So it's a beautiful program. And if you have any questions on that, you can reach out or head to my website and you'll find more info there. Yeah. Can you just give us the website and the Instagram? Sure. So website is alexscott.com slash HHH healing heart hackers, all lowercase by the way, because it is sensitive. And I will say just like a hot tip, my, my name, Scott is spelled S C O T just one T not two. You'll get the soccer player. If you put two, um, which is super cool, but not me. (laughs) And so, yeah, my Instagram and TikTok handles are at the Alex Scott as well with one T. Fantastic. Well, I'll put those links in the show notes and please do reach out to Alex. If you are in any kind of stage of a relationship with a narcissist or you had a narcissistic parent, Alex is amazing. Alex, I love everything that you're doing. I just love that you've changed your pain into purpose. It's like you've woven gold out of something that was so negative. And I just feel like it's just beautiful what you've done with. And then I look at so many people and they're just so stuck in it. And I just love how you've woven this gold out of your experience. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of your story and your knowledge with us today. It's been really fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for those kind words. That's so sweet of you. And yeah, I'm happy to give back. Thank you for having me on and sending everyone light and love. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique, your journey is unique, and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious, and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 